Hello everybody and welcome to Bite-Sized Chunks of Faith. My name is John O'Pierce and in this podcast I want to share how having a Christian faith has brought hope and meaning and purpose to my life. Hi there everybody, welcome to episode 65 of Bite-Sized Chunks of Faith. If you have just joined us recently or you're joining us for the first time, do know that there are lots of episodes there uh, if you'd like to start from the beginning, work your way through them. I know a lot of people uh, quite like to do that when they find a new podcast. One of the great pleasures of doing this show for me is that I get to meet really interesting and inspiring people and share conversations with them and then share them with you. And this week I am so delighted that I have a fascinating person for you to meet on the podcast. Uh, He'll be introduced in a moment or two. But in the conversation that I have with Rod Maxwell, he discusses with me growing up in Northern Ireland. He discusses his experience of pilgrimage and he also discusses with me some views about the church and ways it might reach out to those who are disconnected, as well as sharing his remarkable story of a life changing event in his life and his change in direction since that has happened. So I do look forward to that conversation. I really enjoyed it and I hope that you do as well. Hello everybody and welcome to Bite Size Chunks of Faith and I, I am delighted to be joined in this week's episode by somebody that I met on a pilgrimage recently on St. Patrick's Day back on the 17th of March. We've kept in touch ever since And I am so pleased that he's coming on to share something of his story with us. Rod Maxwell is a former management consultant. He's now a radio presenter and podcaster, and he's got a very powerful story to tell. So, Roger, so welcome. It's great to see you this morning. Thanks for coming uh, onto the podcast. It's a pleasure. And it's great to see you. Um, When we when we got talking on that that journey back in uh, on St. Patrick's Day in Downpatrick, you were telling me that you, you grew up uh, around Downpatrick in Northern Ireland back in the 1970s and the 1980s. And for those like me who grew up in a, in a different place, uh, and there's there's some who listen to this podcast who listen from all sorts of places, um, what was that like to grow up in Northern Ireland in the 1970s and the 1980s? Um, so initially I, I, I grew up in a... Um, a housing estate, and uh, we had um, we were very fortunate to have fields and a golf course all around us. And uh, I remember my childhood years being um, recording in progress. Um, ba- basically, being all about just going out and having so much um, scope, so much freedom, and you know uh, that that type of thing. Uh, and and then um, in the early eighties, um, there, there was a series of uh, issues that meant we uh, we ended up moving to the country um, and actually my, my life completely changed um, because suddenly I wasn't surrounded by other people my age we were living out in the middle near Inch actually um, and uh, I I had um, I had a dog and we'd go walking so was at grammar school at down high school and then I would spend an hour or two every afternoon walking the dog and you had no iPod, you had no phone, you just had your thoughts, and uh, that that was a I, I was a, a lovely period of time. Um, 
And uh, I, I, I guess I, I grew up. I, I actually, when I look at it, I, I maybe it's because I didn't know anything else. But I think I, I grew up in a great place, and the opportunities were fantastic. You know, you had the sea seven miles from your house. Um, you had the, the Moor Mountains. You, you had um, um, great friends, and um, and actually a, a community that was actually very integrated you know uh, we, we didn't have some of the issues of other towns in, in the area and uh, I, I have to say I absolutely adored loved my childhood brilliant brilliant and I discovered when we walked together for a while on that pilgrimage that I had known your your late father Cecil mm. um, who died just a few years ago and your dad was a, a church warden in Down Cathedral where, where I'm a canon and I know he he loved the town of Downpatrick. He loved the cathedral and he was someone I had a great regard and respect for. He served as a councillor, I know, in the town. Um, would you be able to tell us a little bit about how he impacted you when you were growing up, the sort of values that he and your mum maybe sowed into your life? Uh, well, my, my dad was a postman originally. He started at the age of 14 as a telegram boy. Um, and, and being a postman, it, it meant that he would finish work about one o'clock and uh, he, he got involved in local politics in the council. But politics with a very small P, it was all about the people and community. Um, and as, as far as I can remember, I remember he used to pick me up from primary school at the primary school up near the cathedral. And we would go out then and he would do his council work. So I'd be in the car with him and he'd be going out and visiting maybe a farmer who was looking to get planning permission for a house on the farm for a son or a daughter who was getting married, etc. Or you, you would go out maybe to Strangford and there'd be an issue with a ferry or something like that. And I would be watching him just talk to people and get things done. Um, and in those days, he never took any notes. He didn't have a he didn't have a mobile phone. You know, it was all in his memory. And uh, he just he just loved people. And I would tour that area with him. He was a councillor for um, a sort of Arglass, down Patrick Arglass sort of area. And um, I, I I used to love just going and watching him and and meeting the people. Um, and I, little did I know, I, I was meeting some interesting characters all that time, and I was learning. The whole time I was learning about people and, and about interacting with people and, and getting to know people. Um, and I, I, looking back, I loved those trips out, you know, and, and the people that we met. And, and strangely, we rubbed shoulders with all sorts of people. I mean, I, I've got this memory, and, and I sometimes wonder if it is just my, my sort of damaged brain, but of going to a hall in Balnahinch when Enoch Powell was there. Um, and I I remember being distinctly disturbed by it, where uh, because I, I I it didn't fit to me having an English this person with an English accent, all these men in the room, and 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 um, and my dad there, and uh, um, it was just one of the little memories of, of being with them basically. And he he was a man of of great principle and, and integrity, and sometimes that was wasn't easy for him. Um, and he, he made sacrifices at times, isn't that right? Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, he he was a Don Patrick man, and even though he was a, um, a local politician, local councillor for the Ulster Unionist Party, he 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 actually saw it as a community role, not not a role for any one faith or whatever. 
and uh, uh, he, he, you know, he grew up in the town alongside um, Catholics, you know. So, uh, uh, so he, he didn't see it as a political role. He saw it as a community role, uh, and then, unfortunately, um, local politics took a very political turn in the mid eighties with the Ulster says no campaign, um, and I think it was about nineteen eighty five. Um, when uh, Bishop Beams invited Cardinal Fee to uh, St. Patrick's Day service at the cathedral. And as you'll know, uh, it's an um, interdenominational service anyway. Um, and that sparked um, uh, a bit of a protest. And um, my dad got a letter from the Ulster Unionist headquarters to say, you'll boycott this. You, you won't attend as the chairman of Down District Council um, because that's part of our protest. And uh, it, it caused my dad to, to think uh, a little bit. Um, I actually don't think he thought too much about it. He just knew instantly uh, what he was going to do. And he basically said, I, I've got to go to the service. This is my church. These are the people. Um, and I remember he, he wrote a letter, and I, I was, was in the car with him when he delivered the letter to a number of people who were part of the Australian Party locally. And he basically, um, the letter was his resignation from the, from the party. Um, and and this wasn't something he took easily because he loved the role he did, absolutely loved it, um, and and he was good at it. But but his principle was, this is my church. I'd be going anyway, you know. Uh, when I say my church, it is the church he went to. Um, so fu- fundamentally, he knew he would have been there anyway. And number two, he said, in my role as a chairman of the council, I represent all the people of Down. I don't represent just those people who voted for me. But fundamentally, he believed in community and uh, he, he believed it was the right thing to, to do. Um, so that was the end of his um, local political uh, life but um, and wasn't easy, actually, at all for him. But uh, taught, taught me a great lesson, actually. Well, I think that was... Um it's just so beautiful as a story, you know, of, of his integrity and, and uh, the sort of man that, that he was and, and that I, I fondly remember. Um, you, you left Dan Patrick Rod and then you went off to, to study. And, and I know that you embarked on a, on a career as a, a management consultant. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that like to be a management consultant? <laughs> um, to be honest, you know, I had no idea what I wanted to be. At uh, one stage, I thought I was going to be a farmer. Uh, I think my dad always wanted me to be a clergyman, <laughs> um, a minister, um, somewhere deep down inside. And uh, when I, I went to Edinburgh, I studied business for four years. Um, and uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And uh, a bunch of um, management consultant companies came around to the university. And I was a little bit wowed by the glitz and the glamour of it and, and the speed. and the um, It just felt a bit different. Um, but I had actually no idea what I was embarking on. And then I, I um, joined at the time it was called Anderson Consulting, um, then became Accenture. And uh, b- basically I had to learn how to computer program, uh, which was a bit of a joke because I was terrible at that type of thing. Um, really, really bad. But um, what what I liked about it was that it threw me into new situations uh, and, and people were at the heart of it actually because you you would have to go onto a project and and get the feel of the place quite quickly and a lot of that was actually reading people and, and understanding what was going on so um 
the the career became useful to me because I was somebody who turned out to be very easily bored, not good at sticking at many things, um, and with management consultancy, you're you're constantly changing. You're you you know um, you're going to different clients, meeting different people, uh, and I, I loved it, and it got me traveling, and I met people from different backgrounds, and and it challenged me, and uh, those. You know, it, it was um, it was almost like the perfect career for me because I was never bored. You know, it sounds fantastic, and 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 I know, um, you you were you were doing really well in that career. You 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 were very successful, and um, I know that that you reached a point where you were actually made a, a partner in in a major firm, and not long after that, you got some really difficult and devastating news about your health. Mm. Um, can you tell us a bit about what happened there? Yeah, so I, um, 2008, I, I joined PricewaterhouseCoopers uh, with the goal of making partner. And um, I was made partner in July 2016. And, and during that summer, I started to feel um, different it wasn't necessarily I felt unwell, but I was a bit confused and I was missing things. And um, I, I thought I was just putting myself under pressure that, you know, I'd taken this role on. And uh, I thought it was just a case of, you know, I actually gave myself a bit of a talking to at one stage. And so I said, calm down, you know. Um, but um, it started to get that by the September of 2016, we'd just been in California for three weeks on a family holiday. And uh, there was bits of that holiday that I had blanked out and, and um, not known about. And then I was back in work and I worked in London uh, a lot and traveled a lot. And um, I I was just struggling. Uh, I, I couldn't keep up with things. I couldn't remember things. And uh, I came back early on, I think it was the 30th of September, towards the end of September 2016, um, on, on the train as usual. And... and I didn't remember the train journey back home. And I went on the Friday morning to see our GP at my wife's request, but I knew I needed to anyway. And the GP referred me to Withenshaw um, immediately to get an MRI done. And um, by that evening, having done the MRI, they, they identified something wasn't right, and I was rushed to... Um, uh, Salford Royal Hospital, which has a special neurological unit there. Uh, and I was looked after there by a, a gentleman called Hiran Patel. Um, and uh, they did another MRI and they identified uh, a tumour um, at the base of my brain, which was the size of a golf ball, approximately, uh, at the top of my brain stem. And it was causing the... Um, the brainal fluid to, to be putting pressure on my brain. Um, and uh, I think within four days, um, they arranged for me to be operated on um, and they, they removed the tumour, which they subsequently identified as being something called a cavanoma. Um, so non-malignant, uh, it is red blood cells that clot together and they form a mass and uh, that's what causes the... the um, sort of the, the pressure on the, the brain. Um, and that really was the start of a whole new life, really. Uh, it was a sliding doors moment um, and uh, something that's taken quite a while to, to get used to, uh, really, um, mm -hmm. because everything's changed. One, my memory 
uh, was impaired, um, but I wasn't really aware of how badly. Um, and also my fatigue levels are a lot worse because my pituitary gland was bruised and it turns out it's a small pea-like gland but it's got quite an important role and um, the bruising caused me to uh, experience um, fatigue. Um, but the the whole episode is a bit like uh, an earthquake. You know, the hospital is the uh, epicentre but it's when you get out um, and you're trying to patch your life together that you realise what you've lost but also what you've gained and what you have to adjust to doing differently um and it's a real challenge on your whole psychology really it must be immense and i'm, I'm just sort of thinking about that that moment where, where you're at the uh, on one level you're at the peak of your your kind of powers in your career and then within a very very short space of time everything changes and 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 you're 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 thrust into that situation where you're told you've got to have this major surgery um, and I'm just kind of wondering as I'm trying to visualize what that would be like, you know, at that point. And, and there must have been almost a sense of of disbelief or, or shock or um, or just trying to get your head around what you've just been told. It, it, it's um, something that really tests your um, your mental strength, actually. And um, it, I can, in one way, I can look at it and go, do you know what, actually, um, it, it's uh, it's taught me some things that I may have found out later in life when I retired, you know, because uh, it's like a gear change, and sometimes you think, better to find out now than, than later, because what you find is, you, you, you know, somebody once said, there's family, friends, colleagues, and associates, and you soon find out who's in which camp, and the um, the associates and most of the colleagues will leave you quite quickly, you know. Um, and then you're left with your your friends and your your family, and you test both, but specifically your family most. And that that whole thing of hurting the ones that you love, the ones that are closest to, you, couldn't couldn't be more right, um, you know. And uh, um, I, I find that especially hard because I, I did live with my family for four days a week, you know, so I, I, I came back as a different person um, and, and somebody who was struggling and sometimes quite petulant and I'm not proud of it, but I, I was quite petulant at times and um, uh, I, I've, I've had to essentially learn new footsteps in life mm -hmm. um, but but what i find what i find really interesting is that um uh i i think arguably um some of the things i do now are the things that actually i um experienced and developed as a, a teenager back in northern ireland you know, um, singing. I sang in the cathedral choir for years. I was in a, a band. I love singing. And singing is extremely good for your mental health and your feelings. So mm -hmm, I sing mm -hmm. with a choir now. Um, uh, and community, uh, you know. So the radio thing is is a community thing, and, that, and that's good. So you, you realize that those things, almost those foundations of life, are the things that you, you drop back to. And that, that, I suppose that, that leads me to kind of move on to ask you a little bit about your 
your your faith life. We, we met on a on a pilgrimage, and we just happened to sit in to the same pew in a, in a church together before that pilgrimage started, and we got talking. Um, and you know, there might be people listening to this thing, and 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 they they don't know what a pilgrimage is, and it's a sort of a, a walk with a sort of a spiritual purpose. I guess that's the way I describe it. Mm. Um, how did you how did you find um pitching up for for a, for a pilgrimage in 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 Dan Patrick on on St Patrick's Day? How did you find that? What was it like for you? Um, I, I did it because my dad used to do it, um, and I I wanted to sort of almost do that walk, you know. Um, I'll be really honest with you, John. What I wasn't ready for was um, open praying. Um, yeah. along the road and I I initially I, I was a bit challenged because they were understandably asking you to to just make up a prayer by the side of the road and and praying has been something I think that when I have done it I've, it's been a, a very um, personal thing and not something i've done open apart from when you're doing the lord's prayer or whatever the obvious things in church so so to be on the spot and and being asked to make up something and say something um was a real challenge um and 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 i initially passed on it a couple of times um because i I needed to think about it um and then i I did it uh, i think twice actually and it it was it was the strange it was the strangest thing in the in 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 the world you know to 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 voice a, a view or a prayer or something like that it, it, and and I think that I did it when I was standing at the entrance to Downpatrick Golf Club you know and and people who were driving in the car but it, it, there was I think it was spiritual is what mm. I would say you know and um, uh, it it made you think. And um, it it um, it took you to uh, you know it, it challenged you in a different way, uh, and yeah. it made you vocalise and and put out there some 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 thoughts. And actually, I thought a lot about my dad that day, um, and about what he would have been thinking about, you know. And and he he was a I think a spiritual person, um, but not overtly religious, you know. Um, mm-hmm. He wouldn't push his faith or his his religion um and and i think i'm i'm the same actually you know um so it was it was quite a unique experience and i have to say one that'll probably stay with me forever yeah because i one of the things i love about about that particular day uh, that pilgrimage is the people that you meet and um and i love the way you can walk along uh, for example, I'd never met you before, and and I just found myself really interested in your your you were very open to share your story, and um and I just I really I just thought it was amazing, and and it was a lovely conversation, and then I I went off and I talked to somebody else who I'd never met, and just as people wander about and and um and make their way from from Seoul to to Dunkley, it's about a maybe about a three mile walk yeah. or so, but it was um. It's just it's like it's a community kind of event, and you meet people from all sorts of walks of life, and and um, and I think that that that's a really powerful thing actually. Yeah. And um, as you describe your experience there, um, in terms of your your kind of your faith life, would you consider yourself to be a, like a seeker? 
after truth or or is that something have you got a curiosity about faith or uh, i i think um i think for me um faith is about seeing the good in people and mm. and the, and the good in community and and not trying to trying but this is what i'm not very good at but you know tr- trying not to to take people at face value trying to see a deeper side to it and it, it's it's interesting actually now um now i live in england you you see some of the same challenges that we were experiencing back in northern ireland with you know um between catholics and protestants and, and whatever now you know um in, in england it's a extremely um interfaith community uh, and you know we we have a, a mosque that's um about i don't know 10 minutes down the road and when i go past there and i i i see um the, the congregation are going in and, and and praying very actively um i i'm often rem- reminded that that we're, we're all joined in some way there's just mm-hmm. there's different ways of expressing it and uh um and that's for me what it's about is is i i using religion in a way that um links people and i think faith uh, faith in people faith in community is is what it's about personally yeah well i i know i one of the things i've noticed uh, since i started to listen to your uh, to your radio show a bit and some of your podcasts is is you're very respectful towards those who have a like you say a different position maybe to you or a different background to you and you've got a a desire to kind of help them to to tell their story and um as a guy from from the church i i i kind of think there's a lot to learn there and uh, we're not always good at wanting to hear other people's story and so i'm going to ask you maybe what might seem like a difficult question um what do you think the church could be doing to reach out maybe to people who are are skeptical about faith or they're maybe disillusioned with faith or disillusioned with the church is there anything they could do to kind of reach out to to connect do you think i i in some ways i think in lockdown the church probably made more strides in setting itself up to reach people differently than, than than ever before and, and i mean that in terms of you know um the the building a, a physical church i know f- to some people will always be really I- important and and it it provides shelter and that type of thing but ultimately what happened in lockdown and my my mum would would sit and and listen to the service at the cathedral o- over her I- ipad and what you realised was that, that people still did that, regardless of leaving their home, because they wanted to be part of something and listen to something. And and I I think um, the key thing with with the church is you, you it's not making it look like you have to conform to a certain style, you know, certain clothes you have to wear. I think it's moved on massively in that way, you know. Um, it, it's it's realizing that people may not understand the the order of things the way the service works etc but but that not being uh, a barrier to to being able to go in and, and i think 
being able to reach in, even if it is just, you know, listening to a service initially and and saying, is this for me? You know, mm-hmm. that could be a really important thing. Um, and making it more accessible to people. It's making it more accessible. And uh, I, I think unless, unless you've walked away and come back at it differently, you don't realize that the... The routines and the procedures associated with a church service, some people take them for granted and some people don't think about them and, 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 and don't see it as a potential barrier. But to some people, it, it, it will be, you know. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and uh, um, it, it, it takes a bit of getting used to for some, some people. So, you know, the fact that maybe somebody can listen in, watch on the video cast or something and, and take something from that. That might be a, a good thing, but it's it's a good question, John, and I haven't I haven't necessarily thought of it fully, but that would be my first reaction. No, I think that that that's that's very helpful. Just to sort of, I'm always interested to talk to people, you know, who who maybe have something to suggest to us that that might be helpful for the way that we we think about what we're doing. Like you say, we we maybe make assumptions very often, or we expect people to come to us, uh, whereby um, if you make it easier for them to even dip their toe in by by tuning into a, a, a live stream or or a, a podcast or a web or whatever they can they can sometimes make it make it a bit handier for 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 people as an entrance point mm. and it leads me neatly on to ask you a little bit about your own um new kind of direction in life as as a as a, a radio presenter and and, and, a, and a podcaster um Tell us a little bit about about that journey and 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 how that's going. Um, so, when I first um, got out of hospital and I was told I wouldn't be able to work again, um, I, I I was I was struggling with um, what to do with my time, and uh, I I decided I, I needed a role in something. Actually, and I, I first of all started working, and did so up until the pandemic in a charity shop, and and it was it was just people that I missed really, <laughs> and 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 also just having somewhere to go to, and part of a routine, and meeting members of the staff, uh, and, um, and and that type of thing. And I remember very well being in the ch- it was the shop's called Headway. It's in Altrincham, and it's a. Um, a charity that specializes in supporting people with brain injury and and they put me on the till one day and it was one of the most proudest moments of my life being trusted to go onto the till um and with the money and and using that but also it everybody had a compass there and it gave me a chance to have a blather with people and and I, I and and then i remembered that there was a local radio station at the time um and I'd listened to it when I was working in Switzerland. I was in Baal for about two years working, uh, Monday to Thursday. And uh, I, I, as a child, I, I used to make up my own radio shows back home. I used to tape the jingles from downtown radio, uh, use my sister's records that often had her boyfriend's records mixed in, and I would make up radio shows. Um, and uh, I thought... Ah, I, I remember listening to this station and my son's in a band at the time he was about 16 and they used to play um, 
tracks of theirs and other young bands. So I went along one day and said, could you do could you do with somebody helping out? And I didn't realize that they had very few people during the day because most people work. And um, I, I, I sat in on the show and started co-presenting. And um, then one day ended up presenting the show by myself. And uh, what, what I found about it was it gave me my voice. Um, uh, it, it, uh, what you know when you're a consultant or you're in business and you're presenting and you're talking to people you you, you, you take your voice for granted you don't think about it um, I, but it also was very good for my mental agility for almost repatching parts of my brain because you have to and, and radio is perfect for this because you can have notes in front of you but people don't see that you have and if you forget something you play a track right um, and you, you're building stories in your show, and when you're interviewing somebody also, you don't really have to remember what they just said because you've got another question to ask. So it's very forgiving for somebody who's memory loss, which I have. My memory loss is short to medium term. Um, and I, 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 I loved radio. I love building shows and I, I playing music and discovering people's stories. And... Uh, it, it actually just felt like a continuation of my consulting career because that's all I did. I just listened to people and found out what they needed and we found ways of supporting that. And and, and that's really, really was about connecting people. Um, and, and then the radio station I was initially in closed down and in 2019, a bunch of us from there um, decided that we would form our own. And uh, we we started planning that, and then of course lockdown happened, um, and I just so happened to be the weekend before lockdown. I just so happened to be in Iceland visiting the Northern Lights, um, and it was part of my before I went down uh, for my operation. I had an eight hour neuro operation. Um, before that, I was asked to write a, a bucket list of things I wanted to do. And seeing the Northern Lights was was one of those. And when I was there, that's when lockdown happened. And I came back and I, I said to the guys, there's five of us who formed the radio station, let's just do it from our homes. Just launch because we've got time. And we literally set it up in a week, physically, technically, and we got some gear and we had four of us broadcasting from home. Um, and it grew, you know, I think we're up to 20 plus people and, uh, um, and, and, and it was, it was great. You know, our youngest at the time was 16 years of age. Our eldest was in their eighties, um, still is thank goodness. And, um, and, and to just create something, a community thing, um, was a fantastic and got me through lockdown really probably. Brilliant. And I, 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 I've says so since we met, I, I, I've started to listen. You, 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 you have a couple of podcasts. Um, can you tell people about what sort of material you cover in your your podcasts? When I came out of hospital in 2016, and I spent eight weeks in Salford Royal, uh, which is an excellent neurological department, but um, I, I was looking for material to help um, understand what this journey that I inevitably was on was going to be like and I struggled to find something that was easily digestible um my my attention span was really bad it was terrible beforehand but a lot worse then and and I thought well when we in in 2020 when we started um 
Radio Alti, and, and we have this parent group we called Altrincham Community Media. I thought, well, what if we had a podcast uh, with a number of us who I've met who've had brain injury? Um, and, and we used to meet for a coffee before that, and we became a self-help group, really. Um, and it was reassuring to meet these guys um, every so often in Altrincham and just talk about the, the frustrations, the challenges, and how did you know? How do they cope with certain things? And we got some strength through each other, so we started a podcast which we called "Life with No Filter." Um, and the idea of it was that you know our, our feeling was that when you've been through something like this and you've had some neurological change, that filter that you sometimes have can leave you in terms of maybe what you say or how you say it or how you express yourself. Um, so we, we, we decided to start start that and uh, with the idea of just sharing everyday uh, experiences and hopefully helping people realise that maybe what they're experiencing is not unique to them and what helps us, basically. Um, and... Uh, I, I, you know, we 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 did twenty plus episodes, and then we decided to to call it a day because we felt that we had shared as much as we knew at that time, and um, some of the group were finding it hard to relive the whole experience as well, and it had to be we had to be sensitive to that. So, I mean, I hope that we built up a little catalogue of experiences there that um, that people can use and realise, A, they're not on their own. Um, and hopefully there's a few practical hints and tips. I mean, when you are so struggling with your memory, um, it, it can be very scary that you suddenly don't know something or you've forgotten something. And, uh, you know, a, a little tip... I mean, for me, it was when I got my license back because I had to surrender it. Uh, one one day, I, I lost the car. I didn't remember where I'd parked it. Couldn't remember. Uh, and I I was I was almost paralyzed with fear, Jono, um, not knowing where the car was. And it was in um, uh, a Tesco car park. And from that day onwards, it was a case of, right, every time I parked the car, I photograph it. I photograph it with something in the context that I would know where it was. And that little tip just calms you down and you, reassures you that you're going to know where it is. Brilliant. Uh, and, and, you know, keeping um, little logs, little things in your phone. I mean, my, my phone has become my third brain. Or mm. second brain, sorry, I shouldn't say third brain. Um, uh, second brain. But those little hints and tips help massively. Um uh, and and that's what you you realize you're having to retrain your brain slightly differently. So that, so that's what we want to do in that podcast, and then the other one, which is called Life After Work, um, through the course of doing radio, um, it was actually one day I I was in my with my dentist and uh, Ash, and he said, "Can you stay on at the end? I, I need to ask you something." And uh, he, he said, I, I've got some nerve damage to one of my fingers and I have to retire as a dentist because I don't have the dexterity. And I, I don't know what that's going to be like. And you're the only person around my age that I know who's had to do the same. So we started meeting for coffee and talking. And 
then I uh, had another friend who naturally retired in his mid-50s. And then I knew this guy who um, had been a policeman in um, Manchester and had moved to um, Greece um, and uh, was now retired and being a poet. So I sort of thought, be interesting to have like a help, self-help group of 50-year-old men talking about what it's like to be not working anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started that that podcast and we're now at uh, episode 52 or 53, I think. Um, Brilliant. And and that that is really just talking about things that come to our mind. We don't really do it for audience. We do it for each other. Um, and uh, we've never all met physically, you know. Um, but but it's created a bond between us. And and those Tuesday afternoon recording sessions are key to my week. You know, brilliant. I. I just want to say to to anybody who's listening to to this podcast today, um, those two podcasts, um, Life With No Filter, about what it's like to live with a brain injury and Life After Work, I have been fascinated by both. And and I just really appreciate both of them as as just part of my listening experience. Sometimes if I'm in the car, if I'm I'm doing some sort of chores around the house, they're they're great conversations just to be part of. uh, And that's the magic of podcasting so um if people want to find you rod and, and have a listen and um, those two podcasts can you just remind them of the name of the podcast and can you remind them as well about your radio show yeah certainly so um yeah the the podcast life with no filter uh, if you go to mixcloud it's um one way that you'll you'll find it there on mixcloud you look for mixcloud radio alty and uh, that's uh, radio and then alty um and look for life with no filter you'll find those there um life after work is available across multiple different podcast platforms um and so i think you know, if you if you know how to get a podcast you, you'll find it but equally we put the videos up on uh, youtube under um it's called life um after work um there's lots of life after work um, videos apparently on youtube but if you look for altering in community media um, that's who we publish it through, um, and my my show, um, I my first show on Radio Ulti was called the uh, Lockdown Late Lunch, uh, and I realised that that probably would have a um, a certain time period associated with it, and uh, w- with with very little creative um, uh, inspiration, I I've now called it the uh, Late Late Lunch Show, which I also think is a homage to the late great uh, Gay Byrne. Uh, who my mum uh, loves, uh, I loved watching. And I remember Friday nights at the house and uh, um, on a, I think it was nine o'clock on a, a Friday or Saturday night, Gabe Byrne would on. So my show, The Late Late Lunch Show, is on Radio Alty. Um, we are a, an online radio station and I, I'm there live from this very place um, on a Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoon. That's so fantastic. And... Um can I just say thank you so much for coming on this podcast and for being so open and honest. It's been a real joy to speak to you today and we look forward to, to speaking again soon when you're next back in Ireland, hopefully. Indeed. And um, we might catch up and have a, a coffee or a beer or something and that'd be great. That would be perfect. It's um, been great to, to meet you and uh, thank you for this opportunity.